0: Tennessee golf here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe our show is normally a break of all things golf in the Volunteer State? We cover tournaments when we're actually playing. We talk to professionals, amateurs, and we dive into junior golf. Um, we'll talk to players, instructors, organizers, and we also take questions um, from the listeners. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available in your favorite directory, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminaire, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com or at Believe Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at pbrannon21 or on Twitter at QIC underscore golf pro. So, still in this time. Hopefully, everybody's safe, staying at home, getting out, playing on the beautiful days when you can if your courses are open, depending on what part of the state you're in. So a lot of questions coming through, uh, again, practice drills, things like that. So we talked to Adam Greenell last week about tournaments. We know that some of the tournaments have been moved back, hoping to get playing back in May. So everybody needs to start getting out and getting the rust off and getting in there. So Mark was talking about um, asking some questions about what to practice on and how do you use a guide um, to set yourself up how good you can be. Um, and again, I've been taking these questions all week and, and looking at everything, and Mark's kind of stood out to me. And then today I happen to be watching, um, Facebook Live of all things. And, uh, Nick Clearwater from Golf Tech, uh, along with, uh, Corby Williams, uh, from Golf Science Lab are doing a daily special, and you can find them on the Golf Tech website. Um, but they're inviting different players on. And just so happened today as I watched was Matt Rudy, who's a senior writer for Golf Digest, and, um, Mike Adams. Uh, So Mike and uh, Nick are both top 50 instructors and both of them are ranked inside the top 10 right now, I believe. But it was really funny to see, you know, those two guys going back and forth and talking about how Mike Adams got in with the biomech guys and started measuring things of what players could do. And that's where he came up with the system. And he realized he was seeing things that were wrong or he had been teaching things that were incorrect. Uh, based on myth and legend and things that have been handed out from the golf from pros from over the years. And once you actually apply technology and science to it, you kind of find out what you think is happening is not really what's happening. And that's exactly what Nick and the guys at Golf Tech do is they measure the swing and, and compare you to where you should be and what you're capable of and kind of go from there. Well, as I'm doing show prep and kind of walking through the golf, latest Golf Digest, I happen to find an article by Matt Rudy. Uh, about how good can you be um how good can you get so they come up with a test for this and Clearwater is there talking about the full swing so again just the irony of all this coming together but the first one it does it actually goes through a test a short game test with a uh, James Seckman and James is at Shadow Ridge uh in Omaha a- and he walks you through a short game test and he has you hit nine shots um ranging from anywhere from uh looks like 25 yards and in to about 10 yards. And some of them are tucked over the bonkers and things like that. But as you hit these shots, you're giving yourself points. As this point scale goes through, you're going to find out what a pro would have done, what a zero, what a 10 and 20 handicap knowledge. You read the article and see all the shots. But seeing this test makes me think of something very similar that Charlie King and Rob Aikens came up with years ago called the red zone challenge, which is a book I teach out of a lot where you go through and you set a handicap scale. And so long story getting to what Mark asked, but the great way to work on this drill is just the approach shot. So in, in the red zone challenge, again, kind of James is going some similar to this set up a backstand, set up a umbrella, a towel, anything, um, at your exact distance. You want to do it at, um, 20, 40, 60, 80, and a hundred yards. You're going to hit two shots from each distance. You're going to total 10 shots and then put a couple of alignment sticks or clubs down, to to rate yourself and again you can get the book and go through and see how you do it but you score points for landing the exact distance and you lose points for landing outside 10 yards and it's just something that you can set up in a field at the driving range wherever you can get out um, so there's a lot of really good tests um, to kind of figure out where your short game handicap should be and what you can work on that so again you can check out James Seckman's uh, information you can check out Red Zone Challenge there's a lot of other ones out there that are about testing Not only finding out, you know, you know what your real handicap is, but now you can find out what your short game handicap is in in these areas. Now, what was really interesting in uh, Clearwaters, and again, he's uh, big into the motion measurements and things like that, but his simple test is is just to take um, some impact tape and put it on your driver and go out and hit 20 shots and map how many of those 20 shots make contact within half an inch of dead center. Uh, and just using a scale as simple as that, the, the Tour Pro is going to hit 19 out of 20 all within that that small half-inch section. Um, again, it, it kind of does a 0, 10, 20 handicap range, but you're going to find out a, a 20 handicap only hits 9 out of 10 in the middle of the face with the driver. So it's not so much the distance they hit it, it's the mishit that doesn't go as far that thinks they're not hitting it far enough. They're just mishitting it more. So again, get in with a swing instructor and look at that. And another one that he talks about is you know hitting some 7-irons um, and, and mapping out your carry distances. So if you can get on, I've talked about this a number of times, where you get on a voice caddy or a sky track or a track man or, or whatever you have access to, and hitting shots and finding out what your carry distances are because that's going to help you so much. Um, and then it goes through there and just talking about what your carry distances from different distances, what handicap range you're capable of. Uh, of being, and it's like I was actually in a conference uh, with a tenor mate earlier today, uh, a call on um, Zoom, and just kind of talking about fittings and stuff like that. And you know, you're you're looking for certain parameters when you're hitting an iron. Um, you want the ball to launch at a certain rate. You want a certain amount of backspin, um, and you want a certain land angle. And those are really the three key elements. Um, If you're hitting it too high or too low, then they can play with the shaft or play with the loft of the club or the design of the club to change that. And again, if you're not spinning it enough, they can change those parameters. Um, But when you're hitting shots in the green, if it's coming in too low and skipping with too low of a descent angle, then it hits on the front of the green and rolls off the back. And it was an introduction of how using the hybrids in replacement to the long irons can get the ball in the air for the average player and making those longer iron shots land on the green softer uh, and and making that stick and hold. So again, a lot of time to be looking at researching your game right now, working on some stuff. Uh, I know we talked to Lauren Personette a couple of weeks ago um, and and, you know, his his putting drill. And I kind of went into that with the biomech and what I've been doing here at the house. And this past weekend, Lauren talked about chipping shots in the backyard. And so I went out and got my uh, swing rings Um, getting there 18 inches in diameter and I've got three of them and I set them up at 10, 15 and 20 yards and I'll kind of challenge y'all to this same one. So I put a mat down in my yard so I wouldn't tear it up. My wife wouldn't kill me. Um, and just made sure there was a board I could stand on. It was the same level. So I wasn't having a teed up situation, but I practiced hitting those shots, 10, 15 and 20 yards. I was trying to fly it in the circle. Uh, and I probably spent off and on a couple hours out uh, this past weekend when it was nice. And I will say, and this is my challenge to you, the fewest number of shots that I was able to do this was 19. It took me 19 attempts to fly at exactly 10 yards in this 18-inch circle, to land it in the 15-yard circle, and to land it in the 20-yard circle. So, again, there's my challenge to you. Set up some towels. Uh, set up some clubs. Just make a small two foot by two foot box. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of leeway there uh, and just get out there and, and work on flying at 10 yards and, and do it with your, your standard chipping wedge, whatever that might be for me. It's a 58. Um, I always tend to, to go with just a little bit stronger or softer um, sandwich. Uh, but then as I, you know, kind of wound down, I got the 64 degree. And yes, I love a 64 because it throws it straight up in the air. You don't have to do a lot of work. But I just started hitting shots at that, getting a feel. And how much harder I have to swing from 20 yards with a 64-degree wedge than I do a 58 is amazing. You wouldn't think that 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 little six-degree difference there was that big. But it's like I'm having to swing like a 50-yard shot with a a, a 64 just to hit it 20 yards of what I do with a 58. But just finding those little time and drills to get out and do that. Um, My good friend up at Telico Village, um, uh, Casey Flanagan, was on – his site doing some chipping drills with some of his students. And again, it's a great opportunity to start searching some of the local pros. Um, they're just about all going to um, some type of virtual lesson or FaceTime lesson or something like that. We had a uh, Ben Pelicani over from West Haven was, uh, did a, seminar for us last week and he's actually started doing some FaceTime lessons and stuff like that and he's working those into uh, his normal routine. Um, They'll be there going forward. Uh, We had another seminar this past Monday. Uh, Chris Woods from uh, Golf Amplified up in the Tri-Cities area up in East Tennessee was on and did a really good explanation of how he came into golf and how he works with his students. Uh, So it's just Right now is a, an information time, and normally I'm, I'm always telling my students, you know, you're grounded from YouTube, you're grounded from, from Google looking for swings, but right now it's a really good time because you can learn out more information. I get a couple of emails every day of students that are looking at videos from other instructors, and I go through and I watch the videos, and I, I critique what we're working on from that that's positive and the things that I want them to shy away from. And just about all of the instructors are doing the same thing right now. So just send them some videos, what you're working on with your coach, and kind of set some drills and go from there. So again, kind of making this one about short game and things you can do at home, uh, Jess had to kind of come in on Instagram asking about, with all the replays that have been going on on the Golf Channel and of Amazing Masters, uh, with it being a couple of weeks ago, uh, we got to relive the, the chip-in on 16 by Tiger. And, you know, it's an amazing shot that he doesn't hit even remotely close towards the the hole. His chip shot is some 30 feet left at the fringe, catches the ridge, goes down, um, and then chips in. And we've seen him hit those shots uh, amazing times. But Jess is asking about how do you start reading the break of greens uh, when you're hitting your iron shots or you're hitting your approach shots? And if you're playing on the the tour courses, I mean, those guys, when they're breaking out the yardage books, they know the slopes and the mounds, and they're all good enough to hit it within a couple of yards of where they're trying to and look for the bounce and the breaks. And the average player, not so much. But at least then we can look at if the pin's on the left side or the pin's on the right side. You don't want a short side of the miss. Now, using 16 as an example, with that pin down on that left shelf, if you leave it up on that right ridge, it's a tough putt down, but you see that's where most guys are hitting it on Sundays. They're hitting it out to the right. They're trying to let it hit, catch that slope and funnel down closer to the hole. They're not trying to land it at the hole. And when you start breaking down what your miss is left or right, so going back to the uh, Clearwater thing there uh, about miss hits off center and things like that, If you're consistently hitting it toe or heel, you're not getting a good judge of distance and you're getting too much or too little curve um, because the shots are being hit. But when you're hitting it dead center, you know, if you can kind of map that out. um, I sat through a uh, five-hour seminar with Scott Fawcett uh, last year and and he went through expectations and he's got a system called Decade Golf and he'll walk you through way more complex than I ever could get into it. But it's actually pretty amazing to find out the miss range uh, of a tour pro from 80 yards and and from 150 yards. And we only see the best shots of those guys uh, each day. So sorry, just get rambling there, but looking at reading the green. So what you start to notice are the pins on the left, whatever your curvature is, your aiming spot should be slightly right of the flag. That way, if you pull a little bit, you get close. If it leaks a little bit right, you still have more green to work with. And Same thing going beside, um, if it depends on the right, your aim point should be slightly or, or more leftward of it. Now, I'm not saying aim at the middle of the green um, because then you're leaving yourself long putts with that, but just erring to the side that your miss it still leaves you the opportunity not to be short-sighted, at, short-sighted and, and get you into a better up-and-down position. So if you're playing the same course all the time, Jess, um, my thought process there is start to notice where you miss it. Um, you know, if you're you're playing a uh, a golf course that has smaller greens, then maybe center of the greens is a good location because you're not going to have more than 40 feet in any any pin position. Um, if you're playing these larger sloping undulated uh, greens, then you know then we start knowing what tiers to hit into. Um, and as I think of this, Black Creek always comes to mind. Uh, I love playing out there in Chattanooga, but they've got a par five um, that the green is massive. I don't, I don't even know how many square feet this green is, but it's a it's a bowl. Um, anything that lands out to the left funnels down to the right. It's a, a huge green if you hit it long, and they actually run back on. It has a, a slope to to run it down if you laying within 30 yards of it over the mounds and stuff like that. And so anything left of that green has a chance of being in the middle or even on the right side, and it levels out and works its way down to a bunker and a creek on the right side. So this is a hole that you're never aimed at the middle of the green because if you were to miss it a little right, you've put yourself in all types of damage and and trouble and destruction over there. But if you hit it out to the left and it stays there, it just kicks right. If it moves a little bit, right? It actually funnels down and works its way towards the middle of the green. And, and we've seen, you know, numerous holes like this on the, on the tour where the guys have runways and slots and places that if they can hit it, they can get the bounce and the run. Um, 18 at, uh, Kapalua comes to mind. Um, the tee shots down the right side don't get the roll that the ones down the left side get. And the left side cuts the hole off. So, uh, a shot that flies 280, 290 yards down the right side may only roll out to 310, but the one down the left may roll out to 370, 380, and we've even seen some 400 yard drives there. Um, same thing holds true to the second shot, that amazing year Bubba hitting driver off the deck and just you know bending it around all the trouble and running it up on the fairway and knocking on that green. Um, so I mean these guys are, are knowing the slopes of the greens and the mounds, they're knowing their tendencies of their shots. And so, Jess, again, that just kind of helps you see that if you have a slight left-to-right or right-to-left ball flight, whatever it has, aim at a point that if you hit it straight, you're okay, and if it curves the way it normally does, you're still okay. So that does involve playing away from some traps and bunkers and ponds and flags even in general, but just putting yourself in a better position to quit making those big numbers. So this question comes in from Instagram from Tyler, and he's talking about watching the replays um, that we've been seeing. You you hear this stat talked about a lot, um, and it's strokes gained. Uh, And strokes gained, uh, it's a – the strokes gained category was designed by Mark Brody. Uh, He has a book called Every Shot Counts. Um, He's got several websites you can go to and see his information as well. Uh, and basically, what Mark did is he felt like, and he proved that, the fairways hit stat was misleading and overrated. Because you'd have guys going out there and hitting, and, and normally in a season, the best player in that stat category is somewhere around 70, 75% fairways hit. Um, the tour average is going to be slightly. Uh, below 60% and some of the Mickelsons struggled to actually hit 50% of his fairways in his overall career, but yet he's still able to win. Um, and that's what Brody was getting at is hitting the fairway doesn't mean you're going to play better. Um, Tiger has always been known to hit it to the correct side of the fairway or even possibly rough. There's trees down the left. He'll hit it in the right rough to make sure he's not blocked out for a second shot. Um, and so what um, Brody's system was, and it, it, he sat down and, and calculated years and years and years worth of tour data to figure this out. But what it does is it takes, and putting's the easiest way to explain it because the rest of it gets way out there. But so we know the tour average on tour um, is... from 8 feet, I think the actual number is 7 feet 10 inches, but we'll just, we'll, for argument's sake, we'll say it's 50% from 8 feet. So the average strokes taken from that distance is 1.5. You're going to have half the guys one putt it, the other half are going to two putt it, you take the two stroke total, divide it by the total number, and there's where you come up with the 1.5. So every guy who one putts it gains half a shot on the field, and every guy who two putts it loses half a shot to the field. Um, and they have this for every yardage, they every distance of putt, um, where they drive it in the fairway. And that's one of those things that you'll see um, Rory actually leads quite often. Um, but I've, the article here was actually... Um, so the article that I was able to find for Tyler um, comes from one of the uh, Golf Weeks, um, but it actually does break down the top three uh, in the strokes gained off the tee, approach to the green, around the green, and strokes gained putting. So where Sergio, um, again, uh, as I was saying, Rory has led the stat movers times, but currently, right through this season, Sergio is, is number one, um, and he's gaining one point two shots to the field. So Brody goes through and maps out what everybody's shooting from their tee shots, and then based on where Rory's hitting it, he's getting uh, 1.2 shots on the field. Uh, Cameron Champ is 1.1, and Bryson DeChambeau, um, the scientist, or the mad scientist, is 1.009. So the guys leading this shot... The, off the driver, are only making up a shot on the field. So if the average score is 67, by storm where they're driving it, again, way over my head for the calculations, we will use the putting, when kind of talk about it. But if we look at choke-strained approach to the green, uh, Tyler Hatton at 1.4 leads, Boo Weekly at 1.2 is second, and Rory is 1.21, 1, uh, slightly behind Boo's 1.29. So again, what we're seeing with this is the guys that are driving the best are only making up a shot on the field. The guys that are hitting the best approach shots are, are making up maybe a shot and a half on the field. And that's why you have so many guys there with that chance. Uh, strokes gained around the green. So this is more if you miss the green, you're chipping and putting. Uh, Jason Day is gaining 1.1 shots on the field. Aaron Badley at .8. And then Nashville owned uh, Brett Snedeker at .7 at third position. So, Again, Jason and Aaron chipping from the same spots A- at the course of the end of the day. Jason's making up about 0.3 shots uh over Aaron over the course. So he's getting up and down one more time um out of every three or four attempts. And then going to strokes gained in the putting, uh Louis Uthays in one point three six, uh Denny McCarthy at one point three four and Patrick Reed at one point zero nine three. So You'll notice that none of these stats are overwhelming, but we've just talked about four stat categories, and there's roughly four to six shots there, depending on how you add it up. Um, difference between the best players in this and, and the field, and you know that four or five shots is a major thing. So, Tyler, I hope that does a little bit of help for you there. Uh, again, check out Mark Brody. Um, go to his website, do a little search for him. He'll explain the strokes gained stat a lot better than I can. So, John sent in on Twitter um, wanting to know about launch monitors, home studios, uh, how much room do you kind of need, and, and what's a good price point to look at them. And uh, I'm fortunate enough to have a lot of my students who've actually put these in their houses, so I can kind of go in and look at them. And uh, I've played with several models and can definitely talk about what works and um, what's reasonably priced. Um... And, you know, the the FlightScope Miso for $500 is an amazing system, works wirelessly. You just need a room um, that's big enough to swing whatever club you're wanting for. If you're hitting a driver, I think most manufacturers, their, their simulators are going to recommend a, a 10-foot ceiling. But, I mean, you can definitely work around those if you want to work on some short game. Um, now, in this particular case, I, I know what John's budget was, and we were able to look at the SkyTrack system. And I've had a couple students put these in, and they're really great because they'll go wireless uh, through a Wi Fi net connection to your iPad. Um, and so, if you can, if you got room to swing an iPad and a net, you, you've got all the information you need. And you can get more high tech and run your projectors and your screens and things like that. But it's the simplicity, we use the Skytrack quite often at uh, golf shows and stuff like that because of the Wi Fi connection. We just plug the device into the wall and it tells the TV what's going on. But there's a lot of really good ones. Again, the the swing, uh, the voice caddy uh, is really good. Inexpensive, under $500. So depending on what kind of budget you're looking for. Um, but again, I've mentioned that several times, getting some type of device that you can work on your carry distances and, and your yardages and playing golf um, in the house. I know one of my students... Uh, who has it on Skytrax in his garage, downloaded the, uh, the PGA Club um, system that you can play on Xbox or PlayStation, but he can actually play it through his computer. And so he can go to major courses and, and, and set the pins up. And if somebody's done the LIDAR work, uh, I know he was telling me that uh, Sweetens Cove down in uh, South Pittsburgh was actually on the system, so he'll log into that and play that. So there's some really good opportunities out there, um, depending on what your budget is. Uh, again, John, I know you and I've already talked about this one, so I'm just kind of sharing this conversation with everybody. But there's some really good systems out there that are not fifty and sixty thousand like you hear about. You can get some really good wins for three to ten thousand, depending on how you know what you're looking at, as we said, the, the Meso is $500. Now you just need some mats and nets and stuff like that. So you can definitely come in um, pretty inexpensive with a system like that. Um, but it's a really good system. Um, again, the SkyTrack, I, I use one at work um, along with the Foresight. Uh, and they both do a really good job. I mean, they're able to us ball speed, launch angle, spin rates, um, and comparative side-by-side. They're within a couple of yards of each other, so I'm not going to tell you that the more expensive one is that much better. I like some of the options and in the inter uh, the feedback that the uh, the flight scope gives me, uh, or I'm sorry, the foresight gives me um, over the sky track. But you know, if I if I had the room in my house and was going to set it up, I'd probably go to the SkyTrack as well, just because it's a little less expensive. Um, but yeah, so everybody start looking at planning your season. I know uh, with Adam being on last week, we've got some tournaments launching. Hopefully. Uh, in the next couple of weeks. So deadlines will be approaching, getting signed up for that. Um, he told you to uh, reach out to him if you're looking to try and play and don't have a team. Uh, there's a lot of professionals who don't have enough teams, and they have a list of them, um, and they can give them a call and get them going. So I'm going to give you one last um, putting drill to work on um, before next week, and i have got uh, I'm starting to get some uh, really good interviews lined up. So it was me coming back to you all this week for the – The listener's questions, but I'll come back to the interviews pretty hard and heavy over the next couple of weeks and and get that going. But So my one putting drill, and and, um, I I like this one a lot, it's called the reverse ladder. So um, if you're using a putting green in your house, you're going to limit to to the length of your putting green. Um, If you're able to get out to the golf course and do some drills and stuff like that, you can set that up as well. But if you're outdoors, you're going to set up a coin, a tee, uh, a ball marker, whatever. Um, you can put your keys down there if you want to. Um, you're going to set that up about 15 feet from you. If you're doing it house again, whatever the length of your putting green is. Um, at home, I know most of those tend to be 8 to 12 feet. But you're just going to put a point down there. And what you're going to do with the first ball is you're going to try and roll it as close to that mark as you can. And then the second ball, you're going to try try and stop about a foot. Now, if you're rolling the 15-foot putt, I'd say shoot for two feet. If you're rolling the eight-foot putt, then we'll shoot for a foot. But you're going to try and roll the next ball a foot shorter. And so then the third ball is going to stop a foot or two, depending on the length of the putt, to the second ball. So you're just basically creating this rung of ladders back towards you. And it's just a really good putting drill so you can kind of figure out what an 8 or a 15-footer is and then how much to take a foot off, how much to take two foot off as you start to work with this. So not even putting at a hole, just putting in a spot. Uh, do it in one direction and then, you know, once you ro- just take five golf balls, once you roll those five balls, walk to the side and analyze yourself and grade yourself. If you have an even spacing, then you complete it, flip it, and go the opposite direction. So now you're either putting an uphill or into or the green or, or whatever opposite what you just did. Um, and if you didn't get that proper spacing that you're looking for, then start over uh, until you can do that. And it's a great way to spend 30, 45 minutes on the putting green, just getting dialed in for speed. So everybody, thank you so much for the questions. Uh, again, this is Paul Brandon with Believe in Tennessee Golf here on the Believe Podcast Network. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminaire, Tune TuneIn. Please subscribe and rate the show. Uh, you can find us at Believe.com or Believe Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at pbrandon21 or on Twitter at QIC underscore golf pro. Be safe. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you all next week.